Obsessive Comic Disorder. My name is Gene DeWeber, and my guest today is Portland comedian Ben Harkins. How are you doing today, Ben? Oh, I'm feeling great, man. It's summer, sun's out, everybody's, uh, things are opening up, things are, it's a nice summer day. There you go. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you been doing any, like, basking in the forest at all, or? Yeah, I like to go bask in the forest and, mm. uh, just kind of, uh, make circles with uh, candles and uh, you know <laughs> cast spells and uh, hang nice. out. Do you catch butterflies too, or uh, they come to me? I don't they need to, to do you. anything. Okay. You just kind of, I just hum and they just gather uh, at my shoulders and ears and <laughs> flap around like a like nice. a Disney princess. Do you like put your arms out so they can land on you, or yeah, yeah, you know, so, yeah. Sometimes I, I don't have to. They 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 land wherever. Okay. Any mm-hmm. like choruses from from birds around and stuff like that too, or. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, birds are pretty busy this time of year, though. They're not as, uh, they're not as, like, active. Like, the birds are pretty busy right now collecting nuts. Collecting, so. do, do they collect nuts? I thought that was, like, a Sure, squirrels. I don't know. Well, they, they all, <laughs> birds collect nuts, do too. They, okay, do they just fuck the with the squirrels? Is that what they do? They're just, like, the squirrels are running around, they're like, fuck you, I'm gonna just The crows do. Crows no. mess with squirrels all the time. That's true. That's mm-hmm. true, they do. Yeah, crows are because they want people to know who's in charge, and uh, they all work together. So, mm, just always scheming. Huh? You never see a crow just hanging out; they're always up to something. <laughs> Very active minds. <laughs> I I think it'd be entertaining to hear like a crow with like a mafioso voice. You know. Yeah, whenever they all gather in downtown. So in Portland, uh, in downtown, there's always these massive gatherings of crows uh, <laughs> daily, where they all just kind of come together. And then they break off into families and or groups or little, <laughs> but there's probably just one at the top who's just like, "Hey, <laughs> when you're dropping your nuts off of off of the power lines, <laughs> make sure it hits the ground. Don't be don't be hitting the grass. It's not going to break in the grass. <laughs> We're wasting time, people. We're wasting time. You know, you haven't lived until you've seen a crow with a Tommy gun, though. That's they don't make them that small yet. I've definitely mm. – you. I, I imagine crows walking around with those little cocktail sabers. Oh, there you, you go. Know. Maybe like uh, have like like a fedora, you know, like a zoot suit. I get a clear image of a crow in a, in a pinstripe suit. Hmm. Always scheming. The family, the family, you got to do it, you know. You do what you can for the murder. Yeah. Murder yeah, comes first. <laughs> murder comes first, you know. Murder above all. <laughs> murder. You know, my cousin Paulie over there, he uh he's not too bright, but you know, he's he's got a good heart. Yeah, there's like the Luca Brasi of uh crows who's just kind of big <laughs> and cockeyed. It's like dear dear crow father, the on the day of your daughter's wedding, come on to be <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Luca. <laughs> You're a good boy, but uh, I, you know, we don't know what to do with you. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's fun. My uh, my roommates are laughing in the background. I just I just imagine they're laughing at what we're saying. Yeah, I'm sure they can hear everything that we're oh, saying, yeah. and that was a really good uh, good riff on great Crow Mobster. That was a great Crow Monster riff. Yeah, yeah I like it. Um. 
Yeah, so <laughs> normally there's a lot more riffing, but uh, we can get into the comic if you like. I'm excited to get into this because this is like probably like the one of the best comics I've ever read in my whole life. This is like my third time reading. Oh, do you want to say what it is? Yeah, this is uh, where we're talking about The Watchmen or just actually just Watchmen by Alan Moore and art by Dave Gibbons. It's yeah, this is a really I think anybody who's like kind of dips their toes into graphic novels is probably going to read this maybe like first or second or mm -hmm. it's sort of required reading just because it's, it's really good, has great characters. The story is pretty crazy and huge and morally challenging. Mm -hmm. And the artwork is great. I love the pacing of this thing with the um, way that it's laid out with the basically yeah, nine nine frames. That's a very that's a very Alan Moore thing too. Because if you read anything like uh, *Leave Victorian Gentleman* or mm -hmm. even um, *Viver Vendetta*, very much a lot of panels. Yeah, yeah. He he definitely likes to take up the most space he can to use it. Because like I remember reading this just in the last couple of days, and like each issue kind of feels like the equivalency of almost a graphic novel in itself. Yeah, the, the uh, little things are sort of um, – there's a self-contained story within each issue that – like the first one sort of introduces the whole thing and the setting where mm -hmm. I feel like the setting is like the main character for like the first one. But then they have um, – each character will sort of get – well, each relationship will sort of get its issue. Yeah. Like um, – Everybody loves the Dr. Manhattan on Mars is probably one of the more iconic yeah. uh, issues in this series where uh, Dr. Manhattan is on Mars and he's basically just talking to himself. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a person who is uh, experiencing all of time all at once, but still uh, living in like one moment all at once. Very cool mm -hmm. writing style. Yeah, and he's he's like recollecting all the different times in his life and it's all it's he's got like a very godlike time sense of time where everything's happening at once essentially like he's remembering the 1940s 1950s 60s as if it it's happening at this exact same time that he's on mars yeah everything that he remembers and everything that will happen is happening to him all the time so yeah. it's kind of a and he's a godlike character so there are you do run into weird contradictions mm -hmm. uh with anything like that much like you know, real godlike uh, characters from, you know, religion and stuff. You're going to run into little contradictions and he's just mm -hmm. a, a person who like this, this is something that always tripped me up where he like, do we go through like the whole story from beginning to end or we should can, we? We can literally just talk about it in whatever order we want to. Yeah. But um, I guess we should probably start at the, like at the beginning, the yes. way it gets sort of like introduced, where this guy, the comedian, gets killed, and it turns out he's mm -hmm. like this government like assassin for like yeah. Nixon, and introduces that there are superheroes in this story, but nobody really has powers except for this one guy who has uh, that's Doctor Manhattan, who's basically yeah. God and can uh, disassemble all of matter. And with, with the comedian, too, like him being an assassin, the, I think it's in The Under the Hood, which is like the first three issues, right? Mm -hmm. Where they have at the end. They kind of insinuate that he might have been the assassin who killed JFK. They sort of uh, like mention that really briefly in <clears throat> Watchmen. Every time I read it, I notice something else where I think at some point, like Ozymandias or how do you pronounce that? I, that's, I feel like that's it. Yeah, Ozymandias, Ozymandias does uh, mentions that. Blake was in 
Dallas when mm-hmm. um, when uh, John Kennedy got shot. Yeah. And he was um, protecting Nixon that day. And for some reason, Nixon <laughs> was in Dallas. So, mm. And they sort of touch on that. They, they just make that canon for the, uh, the Watchmen movie. Yeah, they did. In the they... title sequence. Yeah. Um, it definitely – I mean, I, I – for the most part, I, I enjoy the Watchmen movie. It's definitely Zack Snyder's interpretation of it because mm. he, he definitely, like, takes a few liberties and he takes, like, some moments that are literally just, like, in text and puts it into the film itself. Yeah, and I kind of uh, – I think as far as, like, graphic novel to movie goes, that is a pretty damn faithful – Yeah. Like, like, there's a few things that he had to cut out yeah. just for pretty much time. Well, I mean, he changed the ending, and I think part of it was because he didn't want to have to do the entire subplot of the film that's being made that's not actually being made, where they create the octopus monster. And like, yeah, I mean, and also that's a big, like, convoluted thing that sort of happens <laughs> behind the scenes in the yeah. graphic novel. Yes. Like, by, like, you are sort of um, surprised by, like, the squid at the end because it's mm-hmm. this entirely, like, eldritch horror, and there, you had no reason to think that something like that was going to pop up. No, in uh, in this story, because it was just um, people who a lot of like violent, broken people trying to <laughs> control the world and like find themselves. Yeah, and it, the whole thing is like the it's been um, funded by Ozymandias, isn't it? Yeah, his yeah. He, he was the um, whole thing is sort of unwinding of this like dude's conspiracy to yeah. try to unite all of the all of civilization mm-hmm. against something. Um, that is like plaguing it, which is just like the evils that we are all like stuck in that divide us. That's yeah. his whole thing. He like sought to become like Alexander the Great. <laughs> and what Alexander the Great did was he failed to like unite the world under like one rule. So what he did was try to attack like the evils that like corrupt society as a whole. So he wanted in order to do that, he creates a squid monster that kills everyone <laughs> in New York, which is a, a pretty cool idea. Yeah. Like the first time I read it, I was like, what the fuck? Like that's so, yeah, it's such a weird thing to like drop on people yeah. and you don't really get to know his name's also like Adrian Veidt. Yeah. So with Adrian Veidt, you're sort of aware of his like existences and you see him as sort of like a, basically like a, a sellout who's trying yeah. to become like a venture capitalist, uh, humanitarian, larger than life, Jeff Bezos, like mm-hmm. um, wealthy guy who sees himself as a God King. And we've seen a lot of, yeah. of these characters have become <laughs> pretty fully real. These characters age really well. Yes. Cause you have like Rorschach who is more or less like QAnon, the person, like he, mm-hmm. the way that he writes, even the way that, QAnon, like Q drops are written is very much in like the, uh, the dialect of Rorschach, just like (laughs) found trash and garbage today, covered in blood. Just, (laughs) you do a really good, uh, uh, impression of that. (laughs) No, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I'm a big fan of, I'm a big fan of Rorschach. He's probably the best character in this because he's the Mm -hmm. most deeply fucked up. Yeah. He has a deeply fucked up worldview. You never, I never find myself being like, you know what? Rorschach was right. But the story makes him right, so it's not <laughs> yeah. fair. Like, yeah. He is like um, – this is a, a story about people who have – almost everyone in the story has like moved beyond this like self-imposed role of like a crime fighter going yeah. around 
fighting. Everybody's life has completely changed and they've all aged or matured out mm-hmm. of it. Well, there was the, I think it was after Nam and like right around the, isn't it supposed to be like the raids for like uh, in New York? I, I feel like they're, they have some sort of raid going on and I feel like it's a historical one, but I'm not sure. But after that, there's like the Keen Act, which says it's illegal to be a costume vigilante. Yeah, yeah. Like the, it has been outlawed for like several years mm-hmm. at this point. The only person who continued to do it was Rorschach. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah. And um, Dr. Manhattan and the comedian became more of like government yeah, undercover uh, tools. Yeah, black ops. Yeah, and, you know, godlike creatures that synthesize <laughs> batteries. So we all have – it's sort of a side note in this thing that everybody has electric cars and everyone's just yeah. fine with that. Because the only problem with electric cars was we couldn't synthesize enough lithium or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And, you know, that part doesn't age well. No. I don't think that that – I don't think that, that the problem was like our ability to synthesize lithium. Like <laughs> it's definitely yeah. – Although, isn't there, like, right now stuff going on in, uh, I forgot what country, but basically people are upset with uh, Elon Musk because he's, like, mining lithium in these, like, countries and stuff like that? I'm sure that that super rich guy who's making all of his money off of electric cars <laughs> has some pretty shady deals with uh, synthesizing batteries yeah, in, and uh, taking materials from uh, – like third world countries. I'm yeah. sure that that is a thing that is happening and has been for a while. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what was going on when he was hosting SNL. Right. Yeah. That's why his Wario was so dead bad. He was actually just thinking about... He just hadn't slept. Yeah. For... <laughs> just thinking about like the mass graves of like lithium miners in some <laughs> foreign country. See, now I'm just thinking of uh, like... Elon Musk doing like, remember that episode of South Park with uh, Christopher Reeves where he's like drinking the, uh, he's like taking the fetuses and directly getting the stem cells. Oh, just, uh, yeah, just eating stem cells from back. I mean, all of those rich people do that. Like uh, Jeff Bezos eats, like he gets regular stem cell injections. Mm -hmm. That's like a known thing. He buys like young people's blood and synthesizes (laughs) it. He's like, if you do become rich enough, you will try to become like a real vampire, a vampire yeah. in the real world. Or, you know, come up with some grand scheme to invent an octopus that <laughs> <laughs> executes most of the world to uh, solve what you think is world peace. I like how he makes it so these people in Hollywood appear to be disappeared, like the artist and the writer and all that stuff, where they're really, they secretly film in a movie that are that's never going to be released, essentially. Yeah, Ozymandias is, uh, creates an artist colony to, like, just brainstorm the best ideas for, like, a creature that is mm-hmm. beyond terrifying something. Well, he uses a human brain and enlarges it for it, too, which is crazy. So, it's, like, sentient. Yeah, yeah. It seems – yeah, it's like a psychic uh, monster that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that uh, kills everybody just by being around it and cr- fires off some sort of a psychic wave Yeah, that executes uh, everybody in all of New York City, which is <laughs> a very cool ending for a, a it thing. Is. It's very challenging because for some reason it works at yeah. the end where it's like now the Cold War has been averted. <laughs> Yeah, and it was during – it was like 80 – didn't it actually come out in 85 too? It's about 80, 1985, but I feel like it came out around that time too. I'm not sure when it came out, but um, it takes place in the 80s, so. Yeah, like it, it definitely released in the 80s and it was definitely in the height of the Cold War. So it was sort of – because 
Moore likes to do commentary on what's going on at that time. Like mm-hmm. V for Vendetta, for example, was about Thatcherism and Yeah, Thatcherism, the surveillance state. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. Very deep, very intense guy. Yes. Alan Moore. Yes, and he worships a snake god, apparently, so that's fun. That doesn't surprise me at yeah. all. He's into wizard <laughs> stuff. Like, he wrote Hellblazer mm-hmm. and stuff. He's into the occult. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he created John Constantine, uh, which because he introduced the character in Swamp Thing. I, I just recently read that run. It was really good. I haven't read those comics yet, but I, I don't know. I like that character a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Alan Moore is a pretty deep dude, really into heady stuff, wants yeah. to take on... Um, and with this novel, he takes on different like political points of view, like what are what the nature of the every character has a fully flushed out worldview, mm-hmm. I think. Well, not every character fully flushed out. Some people are just uh, like Night Owl is mostly concerned with, um, I don't know, getting late again. Yeah. It seems <laughs> he seems like he's just a guy who thinks his life is over. And is embarrassed about his entire life and what he's doing now. Yeah. And is too nervous to move forward. Well, he's like, he feels like if Batman was Clark Kent. Yeah, he's definitely, the Batman allegories are very much Mm -hmm. there. I didn't notice this uh, previous times that I've uh, read it, but there is just a Catwoman character. Who was sort of just like, she was called like the Twilight Lady or something. Mm -hmm. And she's he keeps a picture of her that is like signed in his cave yeah. and he's like ashamed of it when somebody looks at it and he's like, Oh yeah, I've been meaning to throw that out. But <laughs> yeah, Laura, Laura sees it. The, uh, the yeah, second Lori, Lori. Yeah. yeah. When, uh, Lori picks it up, it's like, Ooh, what's this? And, um, <laughs> then we sort of get a peek when they kind of, they hook up on the couch later yeah. and he has like sort of a, can't find that spark. He's like, can't get mm-hmm. a boner yeah. because, um, and then you get a view inside of his head, yeah. And he envisions this old Catwoman dominatrix lady mm-hmm. who. So this superhero outfit thing is actually like a sexual kink for him, which I really appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Most um most superhero stuff kind of ignores uh, how deeply sexually fucked up most of these yeah. people. There's a there's a comic be. there's a comic called Sex actually, which is essentially about if Batman had been doing being Batman for so long and he essentially was like a virgin and mm-hmm. then he just like starts going to sex clubs and like in in like being entwined in that kind of role but there's still the weird like villains that he dealt with in there and like the Catwoman version is literally a dominatrix mm. at the at the club and she like tries to get him laid and stuff. It's really see I like that. There's so a lot of um there's like a meme going on around right now mm-hmm. because there's a I guess there was a decision from DC where Batman is not going to go down on Catwoman. Yeah, no cunning. And everybody's like, hey, heroes don't do that. And everybody's like, that's <laughs> that's why I like Marvel. That's why. But I watch like Marvel movies and yeah. I feel like their sex is completely missing. Oh, yeah. And it's just this, uh, everybody just kind of flirts with each other. There's never <laughs> a blowjob. There's never no. any like any oral sex. There's no sex whatsoever. Even no. like people who are clearly like very much like in love with each other there's it's Mm -hmm. a sexless thing that we're building i feel like they just want everybody to not be fucking so that you can just pick in your head who you would want (laughs) to be fucking i feel like the early iron man's kind of had a little bit because there's like the first one where he there's a reporter that they they don't show a sex scene but they show them like 
prepared to go into sex, basically. like Yeah, implied sex. Implied sex. I would appreciate even that. Yeah. Like, in this, sex is very, like, overt. People are, like, exploring their sexuality and making mm. mistakes. Like, um... Dr. Manhattan splits into two people to have sex with Lori yeah. from two ends. <laughs> and she's just like, whoa, what the fuck? And he's just like, I don't know what pleases you anymore. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a entertaining scene because it's him just being really awkward and not really understanding humanity at that point. You have this guy who's like supposed to be like this God level person, just like, I don't know. I thought maybe you would like this. I'm... <laughs> Yeah. Well, he was like a he nerdy just looks guy like a loser. Yeah. He was a nerdy guy before he he went into that machine that essentially made him a god. Yeah, I do like the the Doctor Manhattan chapter. He does mention at some point it's like all I've ever done is kind of follow what other people mm-hmm. tell me to do, and he kind of all he never deviates from that. He seems yeah. to be very much just at the uh, whims of like fate and everything mm-hmm. is inevitable so nothing matters so he doesn't care <laughs> about people yeah until he gets to this point in time where he's talking to Lori and it's like wow your conception was so improbable <laughs> and every person's so improbable that I forget yeah. that people are miracles and we're Which- just like it's a way to figure it out, I guess. Yeah, I'm glad that it's hard to have a character grow when they're supposed to be omniscient <laughs> and like have their complete, no, nothing matters. A dead body, <laughs> a dead body has the same number of particles as a living body. Yeah. It structurally makes no difference. Like they start him off as this complete nihilistic god figure yeah. that is for some reason still working with the government mm-hmm. and uh, just be out of probably just obligation he's because he he is a person who's like never really made decisions yeah for himself as a human or Mm -hmm. like he did what his father told him to to get out of watchmaking and study um atomic yeah science yeah vague temporal (laughs) barriers or whatever and um yeah, he's a guy who would always go through the motions and even as a godlike person still just kind of just the only thing decision he made for himself was to leave Earth and go stand on Mars. Yeah. And just be like, this is better. <laughs> Dude, I, I got to say, Mars, the depiction of Mars is gorgeous. Yeah, all of the art in this this comic is incredibly good, particularly that issue. But the um, just the color palettes mm-hmm. of the scene and how they're – the color palettes of the different panels will like interact with each other across the page and form yeah. patterns is like totally gorgeous. Just a lot of really tasteful decisions with the color and the inking in this book. It's yeah, it's an achievement for that mm. reason too. It's interesting. Cause like this is a period of time where a lot of the art and comics wasn't super clean. It was like the line work and everything else was very much like, it looked like someone just was trying to get the, shape of things but just like scratching a bunch and everything like that sort of the jack kirby like not even jack kirby more like what i mean is like um have you read like the first volume of sandman no i haven't okay um well well if you were to look at like even um alan moore's swamp thing the art isn't super clean there's there's good art in it but it, Mm. it just has this interesting like like heavy lines, very shaded, like the outlines aren't the cleanest. And it was a very popular thing for that time. So like seeing this very atomically correct. Yeah. This is a very grounded, visually grounded style of uh, art. Very clean lines. 
very like the it's interesting because it's back in a period of time where it was more popular to use just like single colors for everything but it does still have a really good level of like shading and color usage this is uh if you most likely the version you have anything that's been released after like 2005 or 6 or something like that was they did a little bit of recoloring while still being faithful for like the absolute edition mm-hmm. and that's what they've been using more recently so i'm curious to see what the comparison would be for the coloration for like the original original yeah, I, I mean, um, what I have here, it, it's pretty simple with the coloring and stuff. It seems like they pick out, they'll pick out maybe like six colors that mm-hmm. like for a lot of the pages, they'll have like six colors and just use those like yeah. per page. I'm curious if the color palette's the same because this is like, this is what mine looks like. It's, it's the deluxe edition. Deluxe edition. And what page is that? Let's see. That, uh, it's like uh, my pages are not numbered, but <laughs> I don't know yeah. how we're going to do that. But, um. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, looking at that, it, it looks doesn't pretty... look like it's that different. Yeah, no, I think you have, you must have the edition released after they did the, uh, deluxe edition or yeah. the, cause yeah, with the absolute, I think it was like for the 15th or 20th anniversary or something like that. They were like, we really, you know, the old color palette's fine, but we'd like to have some comeback. And it was like, they had the original artist and stuff like that approve it, Yeah, but it was, they wanted to let it pop a little bit. Well, not being like a bastardization to what the original one was supposed to do. Yeah, and like what I have here, it's pretty simple, but it's just, it's dynamic. Yes. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good art. This is great art. Um, so a little bit more about the plot. You were talking about uh, Dr. Manhattan's sort of nihilistic tendencies. I think a interesting scene is when they're having the funeral for Eddie Blank, the comedian, they're, they have all these flashbacks, which is done in the movie, too, um, where everybody's kind of remembering a different memory with him. Yeah. And Dr. Manhattan is remembering, like, in Vietnam, and he ends up killing this woman who's, like, uh, uh, not Manhattan, A woman who's but, pregnant with his child. Yeah, Eddie Blake does. And he's like, you could have changed the, chem- you know, you could have morphed the gun into anything. You could have yeah, turned it into steam. Could have, yeah. Could've, yeah. You could have stopped all of this. You could have made it so my face didn't get slashed and I didn't mm-hmm. shoot her. You could have done anything, but you didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of an odd point in the story for me because, <laughs> like, he did just, like, go fight oh, an entire war. Yeah. Like, single-handedly and win it for America, which is very... Yeah. it's It kind of seems like, though, within his reality he doesn't have a lot of control like he he sort of just acts out what he already knows is going to happen he doesn't have a cl- always a clear depiction of the future yeah and he follows orders but he won't like act on his own for like people that he knows yes the only thing he seems to actively pursue is cheating on his wife with a 16 year old girl <laughs> and then leaving her yeah <laughs> That seems to be like the only decision that he makes for himself up yeah. until the end of the of the story. Besides mm-hmm. that, he's just kind of going through the motions. Um, and, you know, he does have like an advanced knowledge of science and he's like building different yeah. like technology. Yeah, I guess he does do things on his own. But um, in his personal life, he never seems to make decisions. He's no. just sort of a force of science and government. Well, and to an extent, it seems like he doesn't understand how to because he still has that kind of like passive side of himself from when he was just purely human mm-hmm. yeah and he was passive as a human and then becomes this this uh big dr manhattan weapon mm-hmm. thing 
So, which is interesting because he's the only superhuman in this entire world. Like everybody else might have technology. Arguably, I mean, like the the people in this story can do shit that people can't do. I mean, fair. that's very. But I mean, that's it's fine. Yeah, like it's still a good story. Well, like, like Ozymandias being able to catch a bullet, him having like perfect <laughs> coordination in his 40s and yeah. being able to accomplish it and being like the smartest person in the world playing five-dimensional chess against the entirety <laughs> of like Russia and America is pretty like massively – like it's, it's not that unrealistic. If somebody's mm-hmm. just rich, they can kind of play – Well, there's like – because each issue, except for the final one, has sort of these little supplemental pieces that are real building. They're just kind of adding more dimensions to what is around it. And there is one that's like a flyer or like a little article about how to use your brain to essentially like achieve anything. So it seems like when he did this, like he goes on a sort of a um, – I don't want to say a walkabout, but kind of something like that. He walks through like the steps of um... – like Alexander the Great's mm-hmm. life and eats peyote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So essentially during that, somewhere along the lines, he was able to just like hone his brain because he's supposed to be someone who's just always been very intelligent. And so the idea is that he's found sort of a way to essentially make himself a superhuman through his intelligence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's I'll, – I'll buy it because he's a really good character. Yeah. It's morally challenging. You're kind of like, wow, you really are like a genocidal <laughs> – like psycho everybody yeah like even like there's glimmers of like is this good is this the right thing to do mm-hmm. Are, and nobody's really correct they're all kind of terrible yeah people who don't value human life almost all of them the whole time like rorschach is probably the only person who's not like a total nihilist yeah about everything he's the one who's like oh well never compromise mm-hmm. let's um this world is like just what we make it so you have to like He's obsessed with just like destroying evil or whatever, mm-hmm. but he's also um, brutalizes random people on a regular basis <laughs> and thinks that like attacking 15 people to get an answer because he's working on it is totally fine. Yeah. Like and acceptable. He's got his own level of moral standards that don't always make sense. Yeah. He's there's a lot of contradictions with that character and he's very. <laughs> it's funny that he just throws in like conservative fear mm-hmm. into everything like oh I should investigate if Vite is a homosexual I should like <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like maybe he is I don't know he's like a pretty flamboyant character I with mean, a grand world view like I don't know that would add up but I do like it that he just occasionally will be like, yeah, maybe that they might be a homosexual oh, oh you don't have a gun license that's a huge <laughs> <laughs> that's a huge problem hey you didn't get a prescription for these pills like, yeah. <laughs> i like that scene because they have throughout the storyline they have this sort of side story about this kid reading tells of the black freighter and then the the guy who's running the newsstand mm-hmm. and they have almost every character in the story at one time maybe not the a lot of the main characters but a lot of the side characters interact with him like that therapist towards the end that was mm-hmm. uh, working with Rorschach there's a scene before they reveal uh, Rorschach's face where he's actually like has a sign that says the end is near yeah yeah and he's getting stuff like weekly rolling news <laughs> and stuff like that yeah he buys uh he buys from like a hyper conservative 
like Breitbart magazine mm-hmm. and that's his whole deal. And <laughs> he's, he's like a staunch, like fiscal conservative. Yeah. Who that it's, it's very, um, it's funny that they make you kind of root for that guy, even though he is like a total, like he's a total psychopath who I never agree with him on anything that he yeah. does, but he's still likable and he really drives the story just with his persistence Mm-hmm. And his like insistence that he seems to be the only one who thinks that what he's doing is important. Yeah. Like the the comedian never thought that anything he did was important. He just did it because he like hates the world and doesn't mm-hmm. care about anything. Dr. Manhattan isn't even doesn't even relate to humans. Uh, Night Owl uh, is just um, like a rich guy who thinks his life is over and wants mm-hmm. to have like an interesting sex life again <laughs> and finds this weird way of getting into that. Lori is just a child who got pushed into the dreams mm-hmm. of other people and has been in a prison of this superhero shit her whole life. And I like her a lot because she always has like a very accurate perspective yeah. on what's happening with her. Like she's a very grounded character who's just like, yeah, well, this person's a fucking psychopath. This person's a <laughs> rapist. This person's a, like a total asshole. My mom pushed me into this yeah. life. Like everything she says is very true yeah about her situation and she just doesn't have like a way out mm-hmm. yeah she the entire time she's been trying to escape this life she's been forced into it because she was grown to be a superhero yeah she was pushed into being a superhero at like 16 and then basically just pushed off by the united states government <laughs> to like have sex with this like time demon yeah <laughs> that is like dr manhattan which it's such a and she, like, cares about this person, but is also sick of it and wants yeah. to, like, move on. And, um, yeah, I think that she's just a really good character. She's the most relatable character mm-hmm. in the whole thing. She is always just like, I'm, I don't want this. Nobody wants any of this. This sucks. <laughs> yeah. I like that the interesting thing about Rorschach's background is – he has a very rough life. His mom was a prostitute. Mm-hmm. He was beaten up. I mean, there's this scene where he's beaten up by these bullies and then he starts, he finally fights back mm-hmm. and everybody takes the bully side. Yeah, because he bites the kid's face yeah. and <laughs> like rips his face off with his yeah. teeth. And it's very, uh, because he's very brutal. Mm-hmm. He's been pushed and he's, you know, he's a redhead. Yeah, Redheads right? are freaks. <laughs> we get treated this way. Like the... Um, <laughs> When when Rorschach is just like say like lying through his teeth to a therapist, like mm-hmm. oh like what do you see in this Rorschach test? Like I see a pretty butterfly, whatever. Yeah, it's like I love that. Um, yeah, he's he never really stood a chance no. as a, as a person. So he you kind of see where his point of view comes from. Yeah, well, and he was called like retarded when he was a kid. Like mm-hmm. he. It kind of insinuates that he might have, like, some level of, like, autism or something like too. Absolutely. In yeah. his manner of speaking. Yeah. yeah he's very much <laughs> like a unskilled worker on the spectrum who has <laughs> a massive fascination with right-wing politics. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, he was, like, a factory worker and then becomes obsessed with, like, the Kitty Genovese case. And, yeah. Uh, that, that part was odd to me that that was, like, tacked on mm-hmm. into this story. I'm like, oh, yeah, because I've heard about that. And everyone thinks that that's really... Yeah. It's, I honestly feel like it's a little bit gross that it's literally the Kenny, Kitty Genovese yeah. case. And he's like, it was her name 
on the thing. It, yeah, it's her on dress. The dress. Yeah. And I'm just like, they do imply that he might be wrong yeah. there, where he's just like, it was an Italian name for this dress. And then I read about Kitty Genovese. <laughs> I put it together that it's her dress. And you're kind of like, well, so they do ad- seem to sort of leave room for his conspiracy brain mm-hmm. to be wrong. And his conspiracy brain is proven wrong here yeah. and there, but he's always on to something. So it's a, it's a good character to have in a story like this where everyone else has given up on life. Yeah. Like he's got an ambition. Even it's it feels a little bit like blind ambition because he's just – he's very black and white. He's just everything – he's always moving forward, always pursuing what he considers like integrity, what he considers his idea of how – the world should be yeah even though the situations he creates do not cr- at all <laughs> advance like the world that he would think is like decent a, yeah like, a, like he seems to not actually care about making the world a better place he just yeah. he, he just got- hates everyone thinks everyone is garbage <laughs> but like is is protecting what like that guy hate, yeah like you don't really get to see an image of like what his worldview would like actually. Yeah. And because of his right wing politics, you would imagine he just thinks that, okay, white people should have houses <laughs> and uh, make enough money <laughs> and not get, not pay taxes. And um, that's it. You don't yeah. cheat on your wife. That's it. Like, <laughs> yeah, he, no, no promiscuity, no mm-hmm. sexual deviance, no, um, nothing outside of just a uh, straight white. Yeah. Sac- the straight white American dream. Well, I think it's crazy. Like when he finds out that his mom died, his only response is good. Like <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's such a, um, that's almost played for laughs. I yeah. feel like, like it is brutal, but he's such a brutal character and you're so mm-hmm. used to it by then. It's like, of course he would have a one word <laughs> response to the news of his mother dying. And like, he never has any sort of feelings mm-hmm. or like femininity at all. Like he he re- <laughs> completely rejects anything that he sees as like feminine. Like yeah. he, this guy is deep down like a, a misogynist who like mm-hmm. does not – they see his apartment. He does not do dishes. He does no. not cook. He is against cooking. <laughs> <laughs> he eats food as it is and says, fine like this. This is great. Yeah. And at some point, he just eats an egg. out of the shell Mm -hmm. like the guy doesn't cook he eats beans out of a can he like he's a very like macho chauvinist Mm -hmm. uh that's part of his worldview and every woman he is incredibly suspicious of the entire time and um there's like an old superhero who was like a lesbian who was like Mm -hmm. murdered in her bed with her lover and he's just like well they were lesbians they like deserve it like (laughs) it's like dude like he he like this guy is not like as much as he drives the story of mm-hmm. Watchmen, there's always just like the undercurrent of like, yeah, but he's like a really deeply fucked up. Oh, yeah. Has like this impossible worldview that is totally unrealistic. Yeah. Well, I mean, he at the end of the book, like when everybody in the house has decided sort of begrudgingly that what happened is the best for the world because they found a way to essentially unite everyone yeah if they out it as a lie then world war if they out the uh squid as Mm -hmm. something that adrian veidt didn't do himself then all world war three will start yeah again which is the conclusion that they all kind of (laughs) unrealistically come to where it's like well this already happened so now it's world peace and we have to protect (laughs) this lie i like um did you ever watch the show watchmen on hbo 
Yes, I loved it. It was great. I love that they they have it so they're still keeping that as like a thing. They have all the squids falling from the sky. Yeah, just occasionally just to remind you of extra dimensional yeah. squids or whatever. And uh, I do like it that they they sort of address the fact that it wouldn't be world peace. No. After just because a squid kills everyone in New York. <laughs> People are going to maybe be like, hey, let's not nuke each other. Let's find yeah. out what was going on with this squid. How long do you think that's going to last? Like in, in this world, like probably a few years. Yeah. I mean, before. maybe maybe like 20 mm-hmm. at the longest, if that. If even. I don't think so. Yeah. I think now things move so fast. that, But like. <laughs> it's true. I mean, we witnessed like the storming of the Capitol and now people are like, oh my God, is he still <laughs> talking about the storming of the Capitol? It's like, dude, it was like only six months ago yeah. at this point. And people are just like, oh my God, he's still talking about the storming of the Capitol. I'm just like, you <laughs> bastards, d- does nobody care? <laughs> yeah. The fact that our entire democracy, it was spit in the face of our democracy, just like these people like, no, we do not believe that this person was elected. So we're going to just tear apart a nation's capital Mm -hmm. yeah it's a big lie and this the ending of this book is just like hey if we found a good enough big lie that was true (laughs) enough that would stop the cold war or whatever (laughs) it's like no (laughs) well i mean maybe it stopped the cold war maybe stop a nuclear holocaust i suppose but like a nuclear holocaust nobody's ever actually wanted no a nuclear holocaust in the first place it's just that we have enough nuclear weapons to uh, accomplish it in five minutes yeah well it seems like in this world because there is sort of like he addresses the differences that would occur because of dr manhattan and all these characters the existence of costume heroes in this mm-hmm. affect history yeah because that's how nixon becomes president for mm-hmm. three years which is pretty cool i, I like yeah. the uh, not like not that that would happen i just like the way that he wrote that yeah and uh but because of this, it does sort of in the background have these things where they show like they might have already nuked some small areas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like there's missiles going off and there's it's it's crazy because it's one of those books you got to you, you, like you said, you learn something every time because there's so much put into this. Like I appreciate what Zack Snyder did and I understand he could not have done every little piece of like information in this. In, yeah, even this book, like the scenes where the kid is reading the comic book and the mm-hmm. the newsman is ranting to everyone mm-hmm. at once. He's just a megaphone on the street of, wow, I can't, well, now that I'm old, I can't believe it's going to be the end of the world. Wow, a newsman knows everything. Like a newsman <laughs> always knows. We see these patterns. Newsman knows what's going on. And it, you're reading this thing where it's just like, I looked the shark in its black marble eye and for a moment we were... I knew him. <laughs> I stabbed him. <laughs> yeah. I ran him through with a mast. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it's interesting because the Black Freighter storyline is essentially a guy who has this grandiose – he's starved. He's almost starved basically. His, he's been um, – what's the word? Where his entire uh, ship was commandeered. They were um, – They were all like murdered by yeah. this uh, cursed ship of yeah. like – psycho zombie people Mm -hmm. who are like maybe undead or just sort of a sort of a vague evil yeah yeah and like by the time he's done he makes a (laughs) he makes a raft out of corpses yeah he buries his friends he gets um what is that word for when you're stranded on an island 
I guess he's Maroons? stranded on, yeah, like marooned on an yeah. island, buries his dead friends. They all get, infl- their corpses become inflated with gas. Mm-hmm. He digs them up and uses them to keep his raft afloat, which I don't know if you would need that, but it <laughs> yeah, looks cool. So. Yeah, it does look and cool. And then he gets like attacked by seagulls and sharks and he's like just eating birds out of the <laughs> air, getting covered in blood, <laughs> passing out from just raw bird meat mm-hmm. in his stomach, gets attacked by massive sharks Stabs the shark through the head. <laughs> it's a cool story. Like, it's, it's very it. It's um the fact that it's just sort of a footnote in this mm-hmm. greater novel is. It, it's so strange that like he's just reading through this comic book mm-hmm. and they're just like, and that's the guy who designed the squid. Yeah. <laughs> Part of me is like, well, I don't. It's a weird way to tack someone into yeah. a story, but it's also so cool that I don't really question exactly the decision there. Well, in, in the book, it's a hopeless storyline too. Cause he ends that story that's in there, the black freighter. It ends with him going back to his Island thinking that they've already been like taken over. They've already been like massacred by yeah. the people who massacre by the evil pirates who massacred his ship. And he goes and like what like kills his family because he's insane. Yeah, he kills his he kills his wife. He kills like a moneylender on a date, basically. <laughs> yeah, he's just like a complete uh like savage ghoul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just running around stabbing people, and then he gets chased out of town, and then the evil pirates like pick him up. And the, yeah. and it's like the lesson is life is hard. <laughs> like, it's one of those things where it's like it's so bleak and like amoral that you're just mm-hmm. like if you if as you're reading it you're like yeah things really are like that mm-hmm. and then yeah you get like two <laughs> steps away from it. it's like no it's not it's it's <laughs> like when you when you're like when you're like 20 years old and you watch fight club for the first time yeah it's like... it's sort of like an there's a a lot of angst in <laughs> in that part mm-hmm. but it's that's just a comic book that's yeah. being read but also with the rorschach chapter where he's like <laughs> No, that we're all there's. This is a godless world. There is nothing. Humans are are e- can be evil or they can be good. It's all yeah. it's all black and white. But it's only what you do because even if you do the right thing, it's meaningless. It's just kind of <laughs> like, dude. <laughs> like, it's well written, yeah, and it's like it's poetic mm-hmm. and it's written in that Rorschach dialect. It's a cool story. I love that chapter. Yeah. But the first time I read it when I was younger, I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> <laughs> this totally. Is... This is like a completely godless place and, and nothing I do matters. So anyway, I guess I'm going to smoke weed and play video games. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think you just described every comedian in Portland's lifestyle. Yeah. Was, like as a young <laughs> dude, you just like, yeah, nothing means anything, whatever. <laughs> like, uh, and that's why, yeah, that's why I'm too intense on dates. That's why girls don't like me. It's because I'm too intense. They don't understand their true way of the world. They don't understand that it's well, – let me flip through this here. Is it? It's black and white or whatever and uh, you look at it and it, you just assign your own meaning to it because it's all sort of a godless nothing. <laughs> it's just like – Dude, that's not as deep as like you yeah. fe- as you feel when you're like a younger man. Like just it is cool that there's so much philosophy like thrown mm-hmm. into the the worldview of these characters. But when you it I lo- I appreciate it that I, I appreciate reading this now as opposed mm-hmm. to when I I would buy into it a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, exactly. 
he's such a it's such a funny character because he's like this futile like dude who like lives in a terrible apartment doesn't pay rent he's filthy he accomplishes nothing he just yeah. breaks a bunch of people's fingers in bars <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like i'm the only one who's willing to do <laughs> i'm the only one who's willing to do this anymore everyone else is a coward it's like dude what you're <laughs> so stupid he's, he's just got this grandiose idea and it's all started from when he was a kid every fucked up thing that happened to him yeah he's just a ton of unresolved trauma uh manifesting into a dude who's freakishly strong for someone mm -hmm. who's like five seven yeah 140 <laughs> pounds they say and it's i, that I was looking at strength, that and it's just, that redhead strength it's that it's that yeah like we we all have it it's sort yeah. of a feral thing inside <laughs> of redheads like myself uh where you can be pushed and uh and you just uh, it's like a Plus two damage modifier for <laughs> for everyone who wants to get close to you. <laughs> I I'm actually really interested in, right now. I'm gonna wait for the graphic novel, but right now there's a mini series. Do you know who Tom King is? I don't. He wrote um he wrote Vision, the uh, mini series that WandaVision was sort of inspired by. Mm -hmm. um, he's done a few other things. He did like a long run in Batman, but he's working on right now for um, DC Black Label, which is like the replacement for Vertigo. He's working on a Rorschach mini series right now. Okay. <laughs> and I don't know how it works because it's supposed to be a sequel. And I thought he died at the end. He does. He gets murdered yeah. for saying like fucking I'm going to. Yeah. Expose you people. <laughs> so somehow it's a, it's a really good scene. From somehow it's a sequel and it's supposed to be like through his perspective the entire time, which I'm really curious about. Just narrated through. I'm Somebody guessing? just wants to write about writing that style because it's fun to speak in just short declarative <laughs> statements. Yeah. My, my, I love that scene in the book where he's with uh, Night Owl and he's just saying all these things and Night Owl's like, like those are those, that's really insulting. Like these are like you're just insulting everyone. And he's like, yeah, you insult everyone. You mooch off of everyone and you insult <laughs> them. Like you're a terrible friend. <laughs> like you're hard to be around. And he's just like, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to express myself. It's like the closest thing you get to like an apology, and it's really not. No, <laughs> it's not an apology. Like it is a it is an apology, but there's no there's very little work. Yeah, <laughs> he's doing very little work there. And Night Owl's response is basically, "Yeah, it's fine. I'm fine, just tired. man. I'm just." <laughs> and I've, I think a lot of dudes have had that, mm -hmm. have had a bro like that who was just like, "Man, you're so fucking annoying when you're <laughs> fucked up and you 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 suck and mm -hmm. you're just like you're a drain on my life because we all become that eventually to each other." But he's a, uh, I don't know if that's true, but it's sort of a. <laughs> Talking about very... Watchmen is turn, <laughs> just talking about Watchmen. I'm adopting bleak things. Yeah, you're just becoming just a nihilist. Thinking, yeah. By the end of it, I'll just be like, it is, it's right. Yeah, it's right. And there is no. I mean, structurally, th yeah. it's the same. If I was dead, but yeah, we have all had that moment with the with a bro where it's just like, dude, you suck to be around, and they're just like, I'm sorry, but I'm like yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something you learn as you're older. Is when you're trying to apologize to someone, if you're apologizing and then just explaining yourself, it's explaining not really. Explaining that you, like, this is why you won't yeah. change. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm just like this. And it's just like, yeah. That's really cool when you're, like, a teenager or early 20s or whatever. Yeah. I mean, early 20s, the more I'm around people 
now that I'm in my 30s, they just feel like they're in their teenage years, really. Yeah, I think everything kind of gets pushed back. Or maybe it's just like that's how you look at it once you've been through it. Yeah. Or something. I like to call people in their 20s adult light. Yeah, but I've met adult, like people who in their 20s who mm-hmm. just didn't fuck up the same way that yeah. I did. So <laughs> it's kind of um, – you got to just hear everybody's story on its own thing. Which I is fair. Think, um, I definitely know some 20-year-olds who are just like, yeah, you're like me when I was like a baby. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, though, I almost think that that in itself is a lack of um, maturity because a lot of times they'll realize later on they're like, no, I was still a baby at that time. Yeah, and you, I think you got to give yourself that kind of uh, uh, compassion mm-hmm. in your old age too. I'm not that we're old. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> older, older, current age. age, current age. Yeah. Yeah. How do we land on that? Now we're just talking about dying, yeah, just <laughs> death, <laughs> dying. aging. Just being like, yeah, my, we're just like, yeah, our lives are over too. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just talk about Bukowski now? I yeah, mean, like... yeah. Let's, let's <laughs> smoke some cigarettes in your room, man. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Gonna go to the factory and get drunk at work. <laughs> <laughs> go home and <laughs> go and punch a date and then walk home yeah. it's like whatever anybody want to fucking fight me no. so, so, someone just like tries to approach you and you just throw them in the garbage you're like you're part of the garbage we're all fucking garbage it's all fucking dump that's why I don't fucking care about anything I'm a fucking poet <laughs> you just don't understand how deep I am this is just we we, we, we gotta reel it in here Gene <laughs> we've taken this uh, followed this thread out to uh, I think a toxic place yeah yeah this is uh, this is definitely approaching um I feel like the next thing we're gonna say is like, let's make some car bombs right now. Let's just blow things up. Why not? Who fucking yeah. gives, Who fucking a, gives shit? a shit? Project Mayhem. We're yeah. all just fucking monkeys just walking around, <laughs> acting like anything means fucking anything. <laughs> you know what? You know what book needs a sequel? The Anarchist Cookbook. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, these are. Uh... <laughs> Luckily, Alan Moore doesn't land on that much of nihilism. Like, he has yeah. his characters all sort of start out in a place of like complete, like uh, utter existential defeat, mm-hmm. and then they all kind of get their footing and yeah. try to make a difference one way or another. Whether that and and at the end, it's still morally challenging. Where mm-hmm. what they did didn't really change yeah. anything. They were all just kind of they were barely even cogs. Yeah. In yeah. this greater plan, they fail to stop what they were trying to. They didn't mm-hmm. realize what it was until too late. And then I, they just have to come to grips with the fact that it happened. Yeah. I, uh, one of the scenes I really like is like right after they decide they're not going to do anything about what Ozzy Manius did. There's a scene where Nidal and Silk Spectre or Lori and I, I forget the Nidal's name, but – um. Uh, Dan Dryberg. Dan Dryberg, yeah. So they are, they're just very vulnerable and she just says, I need you. And they like have a very intimate sex mm-hmm. from just, and it's just vulnerable. It's not like, there's there's something almost like pure about it. There's something, like, I think their whole journey has just been like, look, we need to, we need like some kind of intimacy mm-hmm. to, like we need some form of, 
these are just like lonely people. Mm-hmm. She's been with like an isolated, she's been isolated on a government compound <laughs> with uh, like a space cadet fucking yeah. god for 20 years or something. Yeah. And then he has completely given up mm-hmm. on ever like changing anything. He's basically in retirement mode. Mm-hmm. And it's just two people who they don't even, I don't think they even like love each other. They just need each other yeah. and like each other's like affection. And there's growth through that. I think that's one of the deeper parts of yeah. this thing that it's not a love story, Mm-mm. but it's two people who very much do grow and need each other's company. And like it is rooted. It becomes, I don't know, it becomes expressed sexually. And I'm just yes. like, that's fucking cool. Well, at the end, it's interesting because they go into like their own self-established witness protection, it seems like, because they they like, change hairs. their identities. Yeah. Yeah. They look completely different like he doesn't even look like himself he has like this like 70s mustache going on yeah they do a good job of changing their appearances yeah (laughs) like when i read it i was just like wait are they is that them yeah whatever well because they go to her mom's as a sort of like a last goodbye to her before they go on to their new lives Mm -hmm. yeah which i mean it does seem like they it may not be a love story but they do slowly fall in love with each other throughout how could you not like be yeah. like hey look we're the only two people in the world who saw what happened in our yeah. antarctica <laughs> that day that all of new york city was completely destroyed by a squid god and yeah. everyone we know died <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's definitely like a bond there yes and they do it's it's not like these are two people who like don't care about each yeah. other at all but it, it's not like they completely I don't know. I think it's it's just an interestingly good and kind of realistic relationship. Yes. Yeah. It's not. It's, it's not trying to be like, oh, it's not like they learn that like love is the fucking answer and like love can fucking save anything. <laughs> it is two people who are pretty flawed. One mm-hmm. of them like has basically just nothing going on. Night Owl yeah. is sort of a shell yeah. of a person. And even at the end, he's like – he only sort of finds himself just through action and sex. Like, yeah, well, the first time they actually successfully have sex is because he was in the Night Owl costume. Essentially, he felt like he had a purpose again. Yeah, like in his dream he, when they fail to – when he like fails to get it up the first mm-hmm. time that they screw around, he dreams about them in their – like tearing their like yeah. human skin off and underneath it is uh, a superhero costume. Yeah. And stuff. And it's kind of, so it's, it's a kink thing for him. And it's cool that it's, um, I think it's told in a way that is like kind of beautiful, kind of pretty. It's not like, Hey, look at this. He's got like a kink or whatever. Like it, I think it, the way it's written is with a respect for somebody who is sort of in a sexual cage Mm -hmm. and is trying to get out and needs to like find a way to do that. Well, there's also a weird, like prophetic dream fill to it because he had it's on mars first of all it looks like he's on mars Mm -hmm. and at the end they explode they like they get killed by nuclear whatever like holocaust so like it that doesn't happen but it's like this fear and it kind of realizes a fear that a lot of people had at that time yeah yeah they show i mean this a lot of the tension of watchmen is anchored in this concept of like the um the doomsday clock and yeah. how close we are to annihilation and how powerless we all are to yeah. stop it. Like, And you see people who are making the decisions. There is like this aura of overwhelming doom and powerlessness over what comes next. And mm-hmm. that 
escalates throughout the entire thing. It's mostly just people watching the news being like, dude, they invaded Afghanistan. What does mm-hmm. this mean? Oh, God has left us. Is America <laughs> capable of like fending for itself? Are, are humans like doomed to like destroy ourselves? And it's pretty, I love the doominess of it. And everybody's just kind of trying to find anything within the time that they kind of have left, whether that is like the destruction of evil, resisting mm-hmm. it with like Rorschach or, you know, discovering yourself sexually like mm-hmm. Night Owl or like escaping your prison of a marriage with Lori. Yeah. And then uh, having a life of your own whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love her whole arc. She's very, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And then um, Ozymandias has his grand worldview that <laughs> even when he, even though he like wins, he gets his yeah. way. He, at the end, he's just kind of an asshole by yeah. himself in the fucking snow. Well, I like uh, in the Watchmen series, Dr. Manhattan sends it like his own planet. Yeah, where he's created some form like clone life mm-hmm. and he's just like feuding with these weird clones. <laughs> that was really entertaining. That yes. that whole part for I was just like, this is kind of surreal. This is mm-hmm. interesting. He's like launching bodies. <laughs> Against some sort of like domed sky or whatever. Yeah. That that show was a very cool sequel. It really was. And as much as I like the um, Snyder Watchmen, in some ways I felt like the show, even though it's a sequel, is a better adaptation of that world. Well, it is. I mean, it's definitely more complete because they went off of the, the graphic novel yeah. instead of the like, oh, we used Dr. Manhattan's energy. To create a bomb instead of a squid monster yeah. with psychic with a psychic attack, like it's definitely more faithful mm-hmm. to that world, and it is, it expands on like the more interesting ideas of like because there is like a finality, like it feels like it's over. Yeah, this story feel when it's over, you're just kind of like you're not like wow, what's gonna happen next? Yeah, mostly everyone's dead mm-hmm. or gone or <laughs> yeah, like Adrian Veidt is basically just a sad fucking yeah. lonely person and you have like two people who basically have nothing <laughs> they don't really yeah. have much to do except for just be two ordinary people mm-hmm. and you're not that curious about what that's gonna look like yeah I, like I, I don't think that like it seems like they're just gonna get a house and try to make it work you know? <laughs> yeah. it's it's interesting because when you see the uh, all the like the death and destruction by the squid, you see all these characters like the like the psychiatrist, mm-hmm. like uh, you see um, there's that uh, gay couple, the mm-hmm. lesbians that were getting in a fight that slowly was like escalating. They're all dead. Like all these people are dead. They got the newsstand. All these people, and it's interesting because you you've been seeing these people dark stories going on because like the 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 psychiatrist is is depressing these people have had like visceral fucking struggles yeah and are just trying to deal with the world around them and what it means (laughs) yeah and it they all get fucking flushed yeah (laughs) (laughs) that psychiatrist like like ruins his marriage over Mm -hmm. his obsession with like well maybe he does like what we were talking about where like a young man is like yeah i guess the, the world really doesn't mean any anything. <laughs> and he's like a psychologist. Like that guy has yeah. – should have tools mm-hmm. against falling into one depressed guy's worldview. Yeah. But oh, he doesn't. 
that makes the story more interesting that he's like haunted and shaken and it's it's interesting because at the end uh right before everybody gets killed there's this whole um one the woman's getting beat up by her ex-girlfriend basically because she doesn't want to her ex-girlfriend doesn't want to like break up Mm. and he's he decides to intervene and his wife is basically like don't try to help anyone else Mm -hmm. and he's like i have to go on i have to do this this is this is who i am so he has this weird conviction and a lot of it was he was he was still trying to cure rorschach and it was just it ruined him yeah and i guess adopts a little bit of like his worldview that you have to do something yeah exactly where it's like (laughs) you can't just take care of yourself and feel good or whatever but uh yeah, I mean, that's neat that there's, like, because that's a very subtle mm-hmm. part of it. But, again, like, yeah, it's all very well flushed out, and then everybody just gets flushed. It's done. <laughs> Nothing, it, it, like, it all, there is, like, a doominess and an inevitability to it. The, like the, It does pull you into, like, the sacrifice that is, like, being made of these people. So, you're kind of like, Adrian Veidt's kind of a fucked up asshole. Mm-hmm. It probably wouldn't actually fix the world which i'm glad they saw (laughs) they got into in the sequel yeah but um when you read it for the especially for the first time you're just like damn like we're it's morally challenging because you're kind of like okay well if everybody got nuked would that be better (laughs) probably not no it would end in the same thing but would everybody have been nuked like uh, does our assumption that we are going to have like mm-hmm. an Armageddon scenario, does that like become a self-fulfilling prophecy? And at the, during the Cold War, I'm sure that yeah was a kind of a realistic thought. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else you have to say about it? I mean, I feel like we've gone through a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess that is most of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure I, there there is a lot to talk about with this book, but um, you know, we could call it. Okay. Um, so there are some questions I usually like to ask. Uh, first one, what was your first exposure to the comic book zeitgeist? So it could be a comic book itself. It could be a TV show based off of something. It could be a movie. Oh, well, I was a little kid and Marvel was like huge. X-Men was big. And I think I had like a Ghost Rider comic. I don't know. There were just comics around. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't remember a time where I didn't have comics around me like just comic books yeah i would flip through them and then read them over again and just look at the art and read through all of the uh ads for all the toys or whatever <laughs> they were selling what was your favorite one at that time i mean i always liked thor thought mm. thor was cool and uh ghost rider because he has a skull for a head yeah and uh i thought motorcycles were cool yeah so it was just <laughs> like I, I i was a little kid i, I was just like yeah that's the coolest one ghost rider probably yeah so i guess that was it then it wasn't i didn't have like a deep connection to that character or anything i'm not like and that's why i ride motorcycles today and that's why i have a that's why i thought ghost rider was a good movie like like i as a kid i loved that and i thought the chains were cool Mm -hmm. but um probably like the at a young age i was really into spawn when that first came out that was a game changer it was brooding it was like evil i was like yeah i believe in satan i think that was the one that i resonated with the most at a young age and through was the most formative character for me it's interesting because all these characters you're saying are very like mature characters like their storyline i mean ghostwriter he sells a soul to satan he Mm -hmm. becomes 
a a spirit of vengeance. I don't know if that's mature to it's sell dark. your soul to the dark. Devil. More dark. grueling, yeah, like definitely More dark, yeah. tortured characters. Yeah. yeah. Well, because even Thor, like his character is a lot less like the movies. I like Thor Ragnarok because they kind of fixed an issue they had with the movies. Mm-hmm. But Thor, that's not Thor. That's not <laughs> that's not who he is in the comics. Yeah, in the comics, he's. I mean, I remember reading like the first Avengers stuff, and he's just mm-hmm. kind of a corny, yeah, god dude. He's just a Superman guy. Yeah, pretty much. Um, with a with some funny, oh, a funny way of speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm and from what I've heard, he's he's definitely like uh, over the years become something more interesting. But I haven't really read too much Thor myself. He becomes, I don't know. I liked the Ultimates version of him, oh, where yeah. he's sort of like a cult leader, like mm-hmm. a hippie cult leader, and you don't really know if he's like a god or not, or if he's like an insane person who just wields. A yeah. lot of power. I thought that was the most interesting version of him. And they've had him kind of deal with a lot. He's been around for, what, decades and decades and decades. Like He's, he's one of the earlier ones, yeah. Yeah, he's one of the original Avengers. So they, if, they've done everything with him. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that for a while it was really cool. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, just a, <laughs> a character like that. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, I really like Thor. It's like, you probably like Thor from like a few years. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a brick where they were doing this with him, then they would change course. That's how those comics always work. Yeah, and they, they sort of revamp comics every few years because they want to get new readers too. So Yeah, when I was first in college, uh, like I was just like, yeah, you know what? I like Thor because he's dead. <laughs> like <laughs> He died and he didn't come back, and that's what I like. <laughs> I hate it when they die and come back because death should mean something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you definitely get like a bit of a an idea that I was really into like characters who die. Yeah. And there's a deathy angle to it. And just like these dark brooding characters. Like Spawn is very... Too much so. Yeah, there's like very, not... <laughs> there's not hope. <laughs> literally just stands around looking... <laughs> looking at shit because he's insane with grief. Yeah. I, I tried watching the HBO cartoon and it was good, but it was just a little too much for me. Oh, really? You didn't yeah. like it? I love that thing. I, I'll cool. probably watch it again soon, but like after, I, it was like late at night and I was kind of high and I was like, this, I can't do this. I can't do this right oh, now. Oh, you don't want to watch this thing about like a child molester <laughs> uh, getting away with killing kids for a while and then meeting <laughs> this tortured hell demon who like misses his wife and cries all the time. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's dark. Yeah. It's depressing. It's very 90s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was that was the thing. There was very... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, okay. Uh, let's see here. Another question. Uh, what are, like, five, top five favorite graphic novels? Top five favorite graphic novels. I think I'm going to go with Watchmen. It's a really good one. Um, I really like this one. It's sort of an indie comic that's called The Infinite Weight. It's the sequel mm-hmm. to this one called Drinking at the Movies. It's to um, it's Julia Wirtz. She's just like this really funny uh, comic like writer and illustrator who kind of ha- – the first one, Drinking at the Movies, is her just being sort of a funny drunk <laughs> trying to live and hang out with – it's like an autobiographical thing. Mm-hmm. And then the sequel, The Infinite Weight, is her just like trying to get sober. I, <laughs> I really like the self-reflection there. That's – those are both really good. So I guess that would be like three. Okay. And then uh, Mega Hex, which is just a really funny story about like a witch <laughs> and her like cat. Mm. And uh, she lives with an owl and everybody kind of drinks and gets depressed. And it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> they hang out with a wolf who's a 
like a drug dealer. That's really cool. <laughs> okay. And then my favorite of all time. I don't know. Does that count? It's I guess it's like an anthology just of um, like American Splendor comics. Those okay. Harvey Picar ones. Mm-hmm. I like that slice of life stuff. That's yeah. not like there's depth to it, but it's like about a guy who's doesn't really have much of a, a life. Yeah. That it, it, it's not grandiose. There's nothing delusional. It's just like a guy being like, this is why, how I buy groceries. And this is why <laughs> he's a curmudgeon. Yeah. Yeah. I like Harvey Picar stuff is kind of why I, it has like the artwork of R. Crumb, but it's not like this. It's not, he's not a pervert. So yeah. it's kind of like nice and like grounded. So I guess, I don't know if you call that a graphic novel, but any American splendor. I mean, stuff. I, would, I would like, uh, because each one has their own sort of, they're all different parts of his life, but they're all kind of self-contained too. Yeah. If I had to, I guess that's more of a series than a graphic novel, but if mm-hmm. I would, I would feel bad if I didn't put that in there. Yeah. I, is I there really, a specific one, like specific sort of story that you like the most out of those or, cause that could be considered a graphic novel or, um, I don't know if I could say that this is a gra- this wouldn't be a graphic novel because it's seriously just a one page thing that oh, wow. okay. that uh, Harvey P. Carr wrote mm. just about he was asking he was talking to like a Holocaust survivor about uh, like a miracle that happened in a concentration camp where they were like lining up everyone and just explaining how it's like you're going to be here, you're going to work and like this is it was very it's a very doomy, terrible mm place to be and then one of the nazis like drops the rifle it fires and it kills the guy <laughs> in the watchtower and the guy falls out of the watchtower and mm. then it just comes back to the guy who's telling the story is like and that's when i knew i would survive that's really cool i thought that was just like a deep cool one page thing that was very moving and that's, stuck with me that's dope um and then the last thing i usually ask uh what what inspired you to do comedy oh to do comedy um hmm I kind of was always sort of funny, mm-hmm. but um, I was just funny at parties. What inspired me to actually do it, people told me to do it. Okay. They were just like, yeah, like you're funny enough. You should try it out. And then uh, I went to a few open mics. It's not that deep. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 it's a calling for me, mm-hmm. but um, I think my origin is just I wanted to be out of the house and uh, have something to do, try something new out. I'm- and uh, you don't have and, to have a Batman origin story. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then my dad said, you'll never be a comedian. And then he died. <laughs> and the house burnt down. And <laughs> and the house burned down. And in the ashes, I, I found a cross. <laughs> and I held it in my hands and it burned into my palm. And, it's, and I realized that I went to an open mic and said, hey, it's a living. <laughs> terrible, terrible. Worst fun. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, and then you know you had uh, devil worshiping like animals hang out with you, and they told you to sacrifice virgin, and that gave you your power to tell comedy. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely something evil yeah. at some point. Yeah, or just hanging out with yeah witches. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's fair. Um, any advice you would give to anyone who's starting comedy at all? Or? Uh, just uh, be yourself. Don't, um, you know, it's hard right now. Yeah. Uh, it's, when I started, it was eight years ago, and mm-hmm. there was sort of a landscape to 
define yourself against. And mm-hmm. now there is no ecosystem <laughs> for comedy right now. So, but I mean, it's emerging again. It's crawling back out of the ground. Mm-hmm. The best thing you can do is just uh, be good to people. Don't uh, don't make it about what you can get. Make it about like what you can create. Something like that. You know, yeah. care about. Explore yourself. Use it for something. That, you know, try to write something that's true. I think, or just funny. Yeah. And if it's not funny, um, you know, don't don't be like, no, that's funny. People just don't get it. Like, they, <laughs> like trust audiences. Yeah, yeah, that's a hard one for some people because <laughs> so many people like to blame the audience. And it's like, eh. I mean, like sometimes it is. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes I mean, it, it can is, be. but it's not like. Like, but that's like one night at a time. It's not like your material and stuff. Yeah. And and sometimes it's good to have a little versatility because maybe you have material that will work for the audience and then other that just won't. Like, you just need to kind of play around with it. Yeah. Like, I do pretty well in the Pacific Northwest and then I just did a show in Idaho Mm -hmm. and uh, they didn't like me. Yeah. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah. 25 minutes. They thought I was fascinating. Hmm? They there didn't ignore me. I mean, there's something that you but said. They didn't in. like me. So, hmm. you know, it's uh it's fine. <laughs> you know, it's it's one night at a time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure I mean, did you do you feel like you learned anything from it or oh, do I, did I learn for anything in Idaho? Yeah. Um uh, I learned that, you know. Maybe I don't like Idaho that much. I think, I think I learned that I don't like Idaho. Maybe there's other That's parts fair. of Idaho That's that I, I would like. I'm not trying to be like, hey, fuck Idaho. But I mean, when I left, I was definitely like, fuck Idaho. Like, and That's I'm, fair. I'm willing to be like, okay, well, you know, maybe that was just, maybe I didn't have a great time. Yeah. In Idaho. <laughs> I think that's the message of the podcast. Fuck Idaho. Yeah, I think that's definitely what Alan Moore was driving at. <laughs> yeah. That's why he has a, a nuclear alien squid yeah. wipe out Idaho. <laughs> it looked a lot like New York, but it was actually Idaho. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, whole thing, everything. The Pivot entire comic. Idaho. The entire comic actually took place in Idaho. Yeah, after I got off stage in Idaho, I was like, I wish a fucking psychic squid would... <laughs> <laughs> then I talked to people after the show and they turned out they were kind of yeah. nice. They're pretty cool people. Yeah. But I, um, I, I think the, the thing we need to say is we need to, you know, anyone who lives in Idaho, we're sorry, move to another state. That's that's what we're saying. We hope you can get out of Idaho. Get out of Idaho. Learn, you know, get out of that prison of people who don't think that uh, Ben Harkins is funny. And they're not, Idaho is not alone in this either <laughs> there are more people who probably don't think i'm funny yeah so. well you can't please everyone that's yeah and that's what i w- should have said yeah at the beginning <laughs> of this question <laughs> yeah. i just should have said hey you don't have to please everyone yeah well that's a that's a good point still um anything you want to plug before we're done anything like it even if it's just social media or oh you can follow me on twitter and instagram at the ben harkins and uh you'll i'll be posting updates for shows that i have coming up and they're popping up now getting my calendar back together so find me and come see me and i've got some funny drawings on instagram that i put on there so maybe you'll like that nice all right uh and you can always follow me 
on Instagram. I have nearly functional comedy, nearly functional comics, and then of course this podcast, Obsessive Comic Disorder. By the time this comes out, I might have a website. I don't know. Well, maybe not by the time this comes out, but if you're listening to this like six years in the future, I'll probably have a website by then. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you for <laughs> listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> this has been Obsessive Comic Disorder. My guest today was Ben Harkins. Enjoy your life, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you.